Thank you for taking time to listen to this sermon from Hope Church Toronto North. It is our prayer that through this message, you are challenged and encouraged by the Word of God and grow in your love for God and love for others. It is God's desire for us to be members of and regularly participate in a local church under the care of qualified elders. If you are not attending a local church right now, we encourage you to take that step. If you do live in the North York area and are looking for a local church, we invite you to visit us at one of our Sunday morning gatherings to discern if this is the church God is leading you to. All right, if you have a Bible, you can turn to Luke 22. We are back in our sermon series in Luke that it feels like we've been in forever. We've been in it since the church started in 2019, but I hope by God's mercy and grace that we get to finish it. Right, Jermaine? All right, if you're ready for the word, say, yes, I am. All right, Luke 22. Uh, first, uh, second Peter 1, verse 13, Peter said, I think it's right that as long as I'm in the body, to stir you up by way of reminder. So Peter practiced this ministry of reminder, and he practiced it because believers, disciples, we forget stuff, don't we? We forget things. And so we need reminders. And sometimes we need a reminder because it's not just that we forgot it. Sometimes it needs to just go deeper. We need to hear it a couple times before it hits us the way God wants it to hit us. So I'm going to be like Peter today. So it's just Mandy. Don't worry. She's okay. I'm going to be like Peter today. And I'm going to practice the ministry of reminder. And, and I'm going to give you some reminders from the lives of the first disciples. Reminders. And here's why we need them. They're going to, they're going to tell us some important things about disciples. These reminders are also going to help us, I think, appreciate Jesus. And then the last reminder is going to show us why it's wise to stay loyal to Jesus. And I know that's not easy, to stay loyal to Jesus. Here's the first reminder. It comes from a betrayal that reminds us that there are false disciples. A betrayal that reminds us that there are false disciples. So we're in Luke 22. It says, Now the Feast of Unleavened Bread drew near, which is called the Passover. And the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to put him to death, him there being Jesus, for they feared the people. Then Satan entered into Judas called Iscariot, and he was, uh, he was of the number of the twelve. He went away and confirmed with the chief priests and officers how he might betray him to them. And they were glad and agreed and gave him money. So he consented and sought an opportunity to betray him, betray, betray him to them in the absence of a crowd. Now it says in verse 3 that Judas was one of the numbers of the twelve. So, but... You got to understand, he's in the circle, but he's not on the team. He is influenced by Satan. It says Satan entered into Judas. He's in love with money. It says when he goes to betray Jesus, they agree to pay him. And then when you read the other gospels, it actually says Judas has been stealing from the money bag the whole time. He loves money. Then also, he's an inside man. Notice they, they can't actually, the chief priests, they can't get to Jesus. They actually don't, they like, how are we going to arrest him? We want to kill this guy. But we have no way. But Judas becomes their inside man. It says that he conferred with the chief priests and officers. They couldn't get to Jesus, but Judas provided a way. Here's what you got to understand. 
Judas is the disciple who's no disciple at all. And, and, and you got to realize that false disciples are very good at hiding themselves among real disciples. That's just one of the sad realities of the church. That's why sometimes there's things that go on in church that are real bad. But it's because they're not really on the team. It's a little bit mixed. Look at verse 21. We're going to skip around a little bit because I like to do that and I'm allowed to. It says in verse 20, 21, it says, where am I here? But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me, with me on the table. For the son of man goes as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. Here's where I'm saying they can hide really well. Watch verse 23. And they, this is all the disciples, began to question one another, which of them could be, who could do this? Judas is hiding so well that like Peter, John, these guys are like, is it you? Is it me? They don't know. And here's the thing. There's going to be false disciples around us until, do you realize until the end? In the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus says there are people who do all kinds of mighty works, and then he looks at them and says, depart from me in the end. I never knew you. We might not know till the end. And here's the other thing. When that false disciple comes out, don't you think it's going to hurt to find out? You don't think the guys are like, wait a minute, Judas? Come on. I said this before in another message, right? Didn't we have that brother over at our house? Wasn't he at the barbecue? It, it hurts. And again, we will, we will find out who the false disciples are in the end, but honestly, there's a piece that it hit me in the back as we were singing. We're, we're going to find out about them sometimes here. There's some people who are going to come through here. They're going to look the part, and they're going to fade, and it's going to hurt. False disciples hide among us. Here's, here's the thing, though. And this is where hope comes in. False disciples are actually given a chance to become true disciples. Did you hear what I said? And you're like, oh, Marv, where where are you getting that? Right in the text. Jesus says in verse 22, because Jesus knows who it is. And he says, woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And everybody that I read this week that's smarter than me is like, what Jesus is doing right here is giving a warning, woe, so warning, this is going to end bad, and an appeal. He's like, woe, he looks right in the man's eyes, Judas, and he says, woe to, to him by whom he is betrayed. He's saying, he's saying, Judas, I know what you're doing. Judas, I know what you're planning. I know what you're going to do. And he's saying, Judas, this doesn't have to end this way. It doesn't have to go this way for you. You can actually turn right now and repent and believe the gospel that I'm here, that I've come to live and to die for you, that we have sinned against God. We've been separated because of that, separated from God for our sins. But there is a way to come in. He's looking at him. He's saying, he's saying, Judas, it doesn't have to go this way. And to the false disciple in our midst, maybe in our midst now or later, Jesus, Jesus is looking at you and saying, it doesn't have to go this way. You don't have to fake it. You don't have to use the people of God. You can actually join the team. It's not enough just to be around the circle. Come right on in. The door is open. The gospel is available. You can believe. Have your life changed. You can go from false to true. 
And Jesus makes that, he made it available to that man then, and he makes it available to brothers and sisters, people now, men and women now, to come in if you want, so that things end beautifully for you, because it can. And that's a word I think somebody needs. Now Luke tells us that it's Passover time. And so in verse 7 to 18, Jesus sends John and Peter to get things set up for the meal. It says, verse 8, so Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat it. Verse 14, it says, and when the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. And so this brings us now to a meal that reminds us what Jesus did for disciples, what Jesus did for his disciples. Look at verse 19. It says, and he broke the bread and took it. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And verse 20, and likewise, he took the cup. And after they had eaten saying, this, this cup is poured out for you in the new covenant in my blood. The broken bread represents his body that will be broken on the cross for us. We're in the gospel of Luke. We're on the way now. Good Friday is just around the corner. And then he says, this cup that is poured out shows that it's, it's, it's signifying and symbolizing the blood that will flow from his, why do you think you were singing all them songs this morning? Oh, the blood of Jesus washes me. Signals how it would flow from those wounds for us. And you see that what he said in the text, you notice how he says to the disciples, this is for you. Just put your name there. This is for you. The Bidi Anabweli, he says, Jesus was not killed simply because he was betrayed. He was killed because he was appointed to die for our sins. God works through the tragedy to accomplish our salvation. Jesus died in your place. Jesus atoned for your sin and my sin. And Jesus launched a new era. Do you know you live in that? A new era. He says, this, verse 20, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. You know what this means? In this new era, our sins are completely forgiven. For whatever reason, God just keeps bringing me back to this spot for us as a church. And remember, it's the ministry of reminder. And I think some of you, you just need this reminder. Your sins are completely forgiven. Completely, fully taken care of on the cross. And so you should live and walk in that victory and in that mercy and in that, I'm just touching my head, in that reality. Every single day. I didn't I just kept going there. The other pieces in this new era, the Holy Spirit empowers you for victorious living. The you can say no to sin. You don't have to go back to the old vomit. It says that in every temptation, the Holy Spirit provides a way of escape. That means you just got to pay attention. And I just have to pay attention. God is always giving us a way out so we can walk in the victory that is ours. That is the era that you live in. You do not have to go back to the old ways. Victory is possible 
every day. I love the line, oh, the blood of Jesus shed for me. What a sacrifice that saved my life. Your life is in the hand of the king. You're saved. And every time we do the meal, it's a way to remember the sacrifice. We're looking back to what Jesus did for us. We're also looking ahead. We look ahead because it tells us and reminds us of what we'll do with Jesus when he comes. Look at verse 17. And he took the cup and we had given thanks. He said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Jesus is coming with the full kingdom and you will get to be in it with him. And you're gonna have a good time in the kingdom. Do you know that? A good time in the kingdom. Look, he says, I'm, I'm jumping here. He says, you who also have stayed with me in my trials, I assign to you as my father assigned to me a kingdom that you may eat and drink at my table. This is verse 28, sorry. And verse 30, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the, 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 the 12 tribes of Israel. What Jesus promises here to the first disciples, you get Right? Sometimes you guys are always like, why is Mark always saying we're going to have barbecues in heaven and it's going to be a good time? Because it's in the Bible. You're going to eat, drink at the table of Jesus Christ. And you think food tastes good now. You think you're enjoying a good glass of wine now. Wait, what? Wait till everything in the kingdom is going to be as it should be. All because of the work and beauty power and life of Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus tells the disciples all of this. And then do you know what they do? They get in an argument. He's laying, like he's laying it down, all this good stuff, here's what's coming to you. And then they get into a fight. And it's a dispute that reminds us how to be a great disciple. Look at verse 24 says, a dispute also arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. They're in the presence of greatness and their selfishness has blinded them to that reality. In the, Jesus is like, who's the greatest? Brothers, hey. I've only been here for like, you know, 30 some odd years, what up? Arguing. And you need to notice that they're not really arguing about who's truly great. You just read it. They're actually just saying which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. So they're not at saying who is great. They're just like, who thinks one of us is the greatest? The whole argument is about people's perceptions. It's not actually, oh, you know, John, you are the most gifted. You're very loving. People, that's actually a fact. They're like, no, just who thinks it? It's all about people's perceptions. Now, no lie to you, I was in this spot last week. So, I, you know, some of you know I coach youth basketball, and so we were away last week in Oshawa, very far, long drive. And we're, I'm just waiting for the game to start, and this other coach comes up to me, 
and he goes, he goes, Marv. I was like, oh, what's up? I don't know him too well. But he's like, I'm just standing there. And he goes, you know, Marv, like, your team's really good. And I was, you know, doing the false humility thing. Like, nah, we're all right. And he's like, no, you're really good. And I was like, well, you know, the boys are playing well. And they're, you know, just coming together. And he's like, no, no, they're really good because you're a really good coach. And I was like, nah, come on. But inside, I was like, he's right. A hundred percent. I was standing there with my backpack, like looking around, like, mm, these brothers better recognize up in here. And then we went out and lost every single game on the weekend. I'm dead serious, 0-4. The two teams I've coached, hasn't, they haven't won a game in like a month. And I'm like, God, what are you doing? And when I got home, I, like, I, was, I was laying in bed, my head was spinning. You know why? I was like, I wonder if he, if he still thinks I'm great. What, because what, all the coaches do this. After the weekend, we all go to the OBL website and we check how the other teams did because we're comparing ourselves. And I was like, what is, he, what is he gonna think when he gets to the website and he's like, I told that brother he was good? 0-4? Maybe. It worked. <laughs> Here's where I'm going with this. When you're really concerned with people's perception of you, it's very hard to have peace inside of you. Oh, I will say it again. When you're locked in on people's perception of you, it's very hard to have peace inside of you. And God wants you in a place of peace. And here's the thing. When you're concerned about people's perception, it just, it fully, fully messes with you. In this novel I'm reading right now called Orchestra, An Orchestra of Minorities, the narrator says, being concerned with people's perception of us produces fear-induced rumination, which is what was going on with me. When people have been made self-conscious by the presence of others who they hold in high esteem, in such situations, there may, there may be no limit to the self-defeating thought that may form in a person's mind, which no matter, watch this, how unfounded, no matter how unfounded, may consume them. You get into the spot where you're thinking things. It's not even true. But you're, just, you're wrapped up and it's all, what do people think about me? How are people viewing me? What, what do they think? Rather than being in this place of thinking, God looks at me and he's like, I don't love you based on your performance. I don't love you based on your gifts. I don't love you based on the position that you have at work. I don't love you based on your education or whatever level. I love you because I made you. I love you because you are in my image. And, and honestly, when you get to that spot where you're like, I am loved by God just because I'm made in the image of God, you are free to do all kinds of things. You're free to actually love. What was going on with me was I was like, oh, I need this brother's love. And Jesus is like, I love you way more than that guy. And his love and his praise is all, is all based on something that can fully change like that. And it did change. 
We went from a five and one team to an 0 and four team. And then I was all shook up. Have you ever been in that spot? Somebody tells you something and you're feeling all good about yourself and then it goes and you're like, "Uh uh-oh. And Jesus looks at you and he's like, I love you with an everlasting love. An unchanging love. And yet sometimes I'm in that spot. I don't know if you're ever in there where I'm like, that's not enough for me. You won't rest in the, in the word of the Savior. A love that, that is not based on circumstances. And situ- a love that's just, just love. That's where God wants us. And peace comes. That's the trap. That's the trap. People's perceptions. We can be trapped in that. But I want you to know I came with good news because Jesus reminds us the way to escape it. The way to escape the trap. Here's the first way. Serve like the Savior. We escape the trap by serving like our Savior. Verse 25. And he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them. That means they're bullies. They push people around. They're always flexing their muscle. You never know. You're never wondering who's in charge. And those in authority are called benefactors. That means they use people to get what they want. And watch Jesus contrast. But not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest and the leader as one who serves. Jesus is just flipping it. He's like, this is how the, the culture, the reason why you're arguing about who's great is because you're actually being influenced by the culture. Don't, shouldn't we admit that? We're influenced by the culture. That's why they're having this argument. And Jesus is like, yeah, don't be influenced by the culture. Be influenced by your king. He flips it around. He says, I'm among you as one who serves. He gives them a contrast. That's because Jesus wants us as his disciples to embrace humble service. Humble service. Think about it. Being a coach who actually serves his athletes, her athletes, rather than using them to prop yourself up. Being a pastor who actually serves the flock instead of using the flock. That's a real temptation. Being a teacher who serves their students. And not just looking for how can I just kind of slip under the radar here because I know this whole system's broken, but I'm actually going to serve the kids. Being a parent who actually serves their child. Embraces the greatest, one of the, not, not the greatest, one of the greatest pieces of sanctification on earth. Serve the child. Raise a beautiful human being that brings glory to God. Be an employer who actually serves your employees. I'm going to look for a way to make it so that my employees are like, I love coming to work here. This person is for me. Being a public servant who actually serves the people rather than just advancing your name. And you see, the thing is, when you, when, when you embrace humble service, you're like, I'm just going to look to serve in love. It actually frees you from chasing status. And here's the thing about status. It's fleeting. But service is remembered. That's why we love Jesus. We remember his service. He's like, I'm among you as one who serves. And he ain't lying. 
He's about to die for them. I'm among you as one who serves, status, fleeting, service, remembered. Here's the next way to get out of the trap. Sticking with our Savior. You get out of the perception trap by sticking with our Savior. He says, verse 28, you are those who have stayed with me in my trials. And I assign to you as my father assigned to me a kingdom that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Jesus had a hard ministry. Right? Sometimes like pastors, we can get up here and whine like, oh, my ministry is hard. Like (laughs) not as hard as Jesus's ministry. Hard ministry. There was, there was fatigue. Like sometimes you're like, Jesus just knocked out. On, he's over on the boat, fast asleep, tired, because people are at him all day. Can we have more? Can you heal my cousin? I brought my nephew. Can you, heal? Can you feed us? Tired, worn down, opposition, rejection. You know that Jesus is his brothers, and they're like, they're, in the gospel, I think of Mark, his brothers come because they think he's lost his mind. They're like, hey, we grew up with you. Why are you telling everybody you're the savior of the world? Let's go home. Legit, you don't think that hurt? Legitimate rejection, opposition. You don't think it, 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 it hurt and touched them to see what Judas was about to do? Hard ministry. But notice what he says to, the, to these disciples who say, you have stayed with me in my trials. They didn't cut and run like Judas. They stayed, they were with him, and and they get benefits. He says, you are going to get the kingdom. I'm going to assign you, he says, a kingdom. They're going to have a good time in the kingdom. I talked about that. Eat and drink. And this last one, they're going to fellowship with Jesus in the kingdom. He says, you are going to be with me at my table. He gives them this reminder because he's telling them, you don't. If you've got all of this coming to you, a kingdom that will not be shaken. Mandy, you can come if you want. A kingdom that will not be shaken. If this is what's coming to you, why are you worried about who's the greatest? If there's a true kingdom coming, and this world is a a, a city that we are passing through, why are we chasing status? Why are we not settled in this place of saying, you know what? I am going to serve my king because I know that the glory comes later. Jesus is giving them an illustration to say, there's no need. This argument makes no sense. Turning away from me also makes no sense. Remembering the Lord's Supper is a a beautiful thing to do. He says, do this in remembrance of me because it tells you what you have coming. And when you know what you have coming, freedom comes to your life to live in a way where you're like, I don't need to chase the love of others. I have it all in the kingdom. When I remember what is coming to me, then it's like, I don't need to give up on Jesus in the trial because I know the trial is going to come to an end. And so just like those first disciples, I am going to stick with the Savior. I'm going to hold on. I'm going to stand firm. I am not going to cut and run even when it gets hard. And it's going to get hard if it isn't hard already. 
But Jesus is trying to lift their eyes and lift your eyes away from the now and show you the future because that is what matters most. It's a kingdom, the Bible says, that will not be shaken. And in that kingdom, your little crowns, your little things, they won't matter. They will all fade. Nobody's going to walk in and say, I have a PhD. Nobody's going to walk in and say, oh, I won six NBA championships. Nobody's going to walk in and say, oh, I won OBL a couple times and it was beautiful. None of that is going to matter. Because you're, when you're walking on streets of gold, come on. When you're in the place you're meant to be in, when you're in the place where everything is right and working right, when you're in the place, when you're in the presence of true greatness, you won't remember your little things. Neither will I. It will not matter. And here's the thing that's so beautiful. When you're in that place, Jesus is not going to run up to you and hug you because of what you did here. He's going to run up to you and hug you because you held on to him in faith. He's going to run up to you and hand you a new and glorified body that's going to work perfectly. Not again because of what you did. Because you believed in what he did. And you held on to that. And you made your life about his glory, not your own. He says, you have stayed with me in my trials. He looks at them and he says, you didn't make your life about yourself. You made it about me. And that is the way into the kingdom that is coming. A kingdom that will not be shaken. And when you get there, you will say, the greatest of my crowns mean nothing to me now. Because I'm in the presence of the greatest. And he means everything to me back then and now. Let's stand and pray. Father, we give you all the glory and all the praise for these scriptures that you lay down for us. And Lord, even in your kindness in waking us up and bringing us to the spot where we can sing, we can fellowship, and we can hear from it to give us the right perspective for living life now. All of these things, Lord God, are from you. And so we give you praise. And we give you thanks for your kindness to us, Lord, for reminding us of the things that we so quickly forget, reminding us of the things that we haven't fully held onto and grabbed onto just yet. But I pray for those who haven't, it hasn't hit them, that it would, you would take it deeper by your spirit. And God, for those who, who are rejoicing and grateful for the reminders that you would empower them, myself, to live in these true realities that the word puts before us. And so we thank you for your word, Lord. I pray that it would have rejoiced our heart, that it would have made wise the simple, that it would give us strength and power, Lord God, to live for you this week, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. For more resources or information about Hope Church, visit hopetorontonorth.com.